Hello, and welcome to tonight's episode of The Epic Pencil, a weekly evening of original fiction, conversations with writers, and more. I'm your host, Chris Watson. Thanks for joining me. Women in fantasy and sci-fi literature have not had, shall we say, the most representative and positive of histories. Slave girls and chainmail-clad buxom warriors populated your pulpy Edgar Rice Burroughs and Robert E. Howard books. They're largely non-existent in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, and even in a longtime favorite of mine, The Chronicles of Prydain, Princess Ilanwi plays second fiddle to Taran of Caer Dalbin as a to-be-mooned-over love interest and scold much of the time. Thankfully, a lot has changed over the years. David Weber's Honor Harrington series is built around a brilliant, competent, and kick-butt Honor Stephanie Harrington. Jacqueline Carey's Cushiel's Dart and the follow-on books overturned the slave girl trope. And while it's not one of my favorite books, The Mists of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley refashioned the Arthurian legends from the perspective of the powerful women historically given short shrift in other tellings. More recently, you can follow the adventures of Carrigan Glavian in Kristen Britain's Green Rider series and get acquainted with any number of strong, fully imagined women in the books of Tamora Pierce, such as the Protector of the Small Quartet. Personally, my favorite has always been Lady Polgara in David Edding's Belgariad and Malorian Quintets. A 4,000-year-old sorceress, she is downright badass, as powerful as her father Belgrath, and takes no crap from anyone. Are they the deepest, most fully thought-out books? No, but they're still my favorite. In large part, that's because of Polgara and her interactions with her many times great nephew Garion, the Princess Senedra, and the others who quest alongside her. When I started playing around with the ideas for Circle's Call and the other planned novels in the Pinnacle of Storms Quartet, I knew I wanted to write strong women. Plus, I realized that if I didn't write strong women, the strong women in my life would never let me forget it. We've already met two of the principal characters, Major Oscar Kasegian and his new aide, Evith Rospin. Tonight's excerpt, A Death in Mummer's Court, introduces us to another, 19-year-old Lady Melsera. It's Melsera more than anyone who became the focal point for Circle's Call as I was writing it. Now that wasn't my original plan, but to be honest, she didn't give me a whole lot of choice. So let's put pen to paper and continue with Circle's Call. Chapter 3. A Death in Mummer's Court The pair had just reached the bottom of the ladder when a young runner came skidding into the tower. The boy saluted awkwardly before blurting out, I have a message from the Lady Melsera, sir. From whom? The Lady Melsera, sir. She said to tell you she's from the chapter house. Kasegian nodded. All right, what's the message? With the lady's compliments, Major... She requests that you come to Mummer's court immediately. There's something you need to see. Did she say what, boy? Do you know what this is about? The boy shook his head. No, sir, and she wouldn't tell me. Very well. Find Lieutenant Trout and Sergeant Jaskin here on the docks. Tell them to send riders to the harbor towers to look for survivors and let them know I'm heading for Mummer's court if they need me. Rossman, you stay with me. Yes, sir, the private and the boy said in unison. At the quick step, it took them less than ten minutes to reach the streets of Mummer's Court. Two hundred years earlier, the city square had been the site of the execution of a troop of actors charged with sedition. In the generations since, 
and had taken on a more festive air during spring and summer months when it became home to musicians, performers, jugglers, magicians, and others seeking to earn a few coppers by entertaining passers-by. At the center was the great oak tree from which the rebellious thespians had been hanged. Together, the Major and Rospin came to the entrance of Mummer's Court and stopped to stare dead ahead at the body sprawled in an agony-racked pose. The man was a raider, or had been, before something killed him. His eyes, shot through with red, bulged from his face and his tongue, swollen and dark, extended from between his open lips. Legs lay askew as if he had kicked out in the last moments of his life. One hand, extended like a claw, dug deep into the withered grass. His other hand, with tufts of grass and dirt beneath his fingernails, clutched at his throat. That grass and dirt must have come from the other set of deep furrows in the turf near him. It's like he was trying to drag himself away, Rospin muttered. Aye, but from what? asked Kasegian. It almost looks like he drowned, like he couldn't breathe. He... He wasn't alone, sir. Kasedjian looked at the young man standing by his side. What's that? Rospin pointed. He wasn't alone. The major looked out across the rest of Mummer's court. Rospin swore under his breath. What in the four hells happened here, sir? I have no idea, Private, replied Kasedjian, as he stared at the bodies spread across the grass, almost all twisted in that same gruesome pose. Perhaps twenty or twenty-five raiders sprawled with the tall oak and its majestic arching branches looming overhead. While some showed evidence of wounds, the majority appeared unmarked but were clearly dead, and all appeared twisted in agony. Kasegian stepped forward, heading for the corpse of the first raider he'd seen. I wouldn't do that said a soft voice. He turned to face the speaker. Excuse me? A tall young woman stepped forward, the hood of her cloak falling away from her thick red-gold hair. I'm Lady Melsera Aylenway from the Chapter House, she replied, extending her hand while meeting his gaze with a frank, open look in her eyes. And I don't think you want to get any closer just yet. My lady... I'm Oscar Kasegian, commander of the Selmarin Guard, at your service, he said, with a crisp bow and a brush of his lips across her outstretched fingers. What has happened here, and why can't I examine the body? Both excellent questions, Major, and I think I may have some answers, if you care to come with me. Dismissing Rossman to assist the members of the Night Guard with crowd control, and assessing the surrounding damage, he walked with the Stangian woman. She placed one hand on his arm and guided him, staying well clear of the nearest bodies. I arrived here a short time ago. When I saw this, I sent a runner for you, as I thought you should see this from the start. Virtually everything you see here is exactly as I found it. Virtually? Yes, I'll get to that in a moment. Up here, please. She turned and led the way up a set of wooden steps to a small platform atop the building. It's to get a better view of the city and the performances, I'm told, she said. However, it is ideal for our purposes as well. Please, look down and tell me what you see. Kasegian moved to the edge and leaned over the railing, looking down into the court. I see bodies, perhaps thirty-five or forty. 
Whatever happened took place, or whatever killed them, didn't extend beyond the dried portion of the grass. He paused, looking more closely. The dead portion of the grass, it appears to be a perfect circle, maybe 100 feet across. But the grass along the outer edge is green and lush. It rained several times last week. There's no reason for that grass in the center to look like that. Strange, isn't it? Lady Melsera commented. He stared down at the mysterious circle again. The tree. The tree's at the center of it. She nodded. Yes, but the tree is not the cause. Would you like to see what is? He nodded tightly. Yes. Together they descended and continued around the affected area, working their way around the trunk of the ancient tree. Oh, judges, the commander of the Salmaran watch breathed. Oh, yes, the young woman replied with a touch of awe and admiration. At the base of the tree sat a young boy, perhaps thirteen or fourteen years of age, whose long brown hair fell like a curtain over his face, and who was cradling a small body in his arms as he slowly rocked back and forth. It was a young girl he was holding, Kasegian realized. A Stangian boy? Kasegian asked, turning to Lady Melsera. She nodded. I assume so, but if that's the case, his gift is unbelievably strong for one his age. But what is he doing? How? She stepped away and grabbed a torch from a nearby bracket. As she walked back to him, it burst into flames. My gift, she said, handing him the torch. I'm a spark and did what I could to control the fires in the city on my way here. Now, take this torch and walk slowly toward the boy while holding it out in front of you. The major looked at her for a moment and then, shaking his head, did as he was asked. Slowly, step by step, he moved toward the boy. Eyes darting down toward the line between green grass and desiccated turf, he almost missed the flicker at the end of the torch. It began to gutter, and then, as he took another step forward, the flame went out at the tip, and more of the torch began to flicker and fade. Another step or two, and the torch finally died. Milady, what does it mean? he asked, stepping back from the edge of the effect. How could the ability to extinguish flame do this to these people? Lady Malsara shook her head slowly. It's too early to be entirely sure, Major, but I believe this boy has the gift of wind, not flame. Wind? he exclaimed. But breezes blow or still the air to lift or to push to draw a thing towards the wielder. I've seen them do that before, but this... Major, as a spark, I'm very conscious of the fact that flame will not burn where there is no air. I think this boy did not merely dispel the wind, but violently remove the air from around him. It's something I've heard of on a small scale, perhaps affecting a group of two or three people, but nothing like this. She swept her arms up to encompass the scope of the whole mummer's court. Look at their faces, Major. With the exception of those who died at the hands of the raiders, doesn't it look like the others perished, gasping for air, struggling to breathe, almost as if they had drowned? But here, it's not because of too much water, but too little air. The Major shuddered at the thought and stared out at the boy, who still slowly rocked in place, holding the small girl. Yes, it does look that way. I'm afraid there's more, Major. 
she said quietly, odd reddish-gold eyes flickering toward the bystanders nearby. He laughed grimly. More? Of course there's more. It's only fitting. She gestured toward an unlit torch that stood upright, plunged into the surf some five feet inside the perimeter. A short time ago, that torch was burning. Now I'm unable to light it. Likewise, the grass was green and lush, but now it's withering. He looked closely at it and then turned, understanding dawning on his face. Yes, Major, she nodded. Whatever this boy is doing, it's expanding. How far will it go? Now it was her turn to laugh ruefully. I wish I knew, Major. As with all Stangen, the scope and scale of any effect is drawn from the strength of the individual. We know nothing of this boy or his strength. There's no way to tell. A reader might be able to gauge his strength, but there's no way to get close enough without killing the reader. For all I know, the boy can do this indefinitely. On the other hand, one wonders how it is he can breathe in the center of that effect. Perhaps his air, too, will eventually run out. Or perhaps it's open at the top and allows fresh air to reach him. After all, the oak tree shows no ill effects. Alternatively... Perhaps he's immune to the effects of his gift, which also might not extend high enough to reach the trees, leaves, and branches. We simply do not know. Kasegian stroked the scar on his jaw, staring out at the boy, mulling over what the Stangen woman had said. I would surmise that we're witnessing the initial emergence of this boy's gift in a far more dramatic and deadly manner than is typical, she continued, I suppose it could be the result of the rather horrible situation the boy found himself in. Kasegian said nothing, just stood watching the boy continue his slow, steady rocking, one hand now gently stroking the girl's blonde locks. Rosben! he bellowed. Moments later, the young man was at his side. Rosben, I want you and a small group of men to gather any torches you can find and place them around the outer edge of the withered grass here in the court and then light them. No one is to stray inside that ring of torches. Not a guardsman, not a merchant, not a child. No one. Their lives depend on it. Then, once the torches are lit, start asking the people here in the court if anyone recognizes the boy by the oak tree. But for safety's sake, don't let anyone try to get close to him. And sing out if any torches start to go out. You got that? Yes, sir, Rossman said, and he turned to gather the necessary men and materials. All right, Kasegian sighed. We'll at least set up a temporary perimeter to keep people safe and allow us to assess how quickly this effect is expanding. That still leaves us with the question of what to do about it. The slender woman nodded, and for the first time, he realized just how young she was. The Lady Melsera couldn't have been more than three or four years older than his eldest daughter, Chasey, who had just turned sixteen during the last festival of the Ascendancy. Lady Melsera, he said quietly, I do need to make you understand that my first priority is the safety of this city and its people. If we can't stop this somehow... I will have no choice but to have the boy killed. I'm assuming a crossbow bolt will have no problem reaching him through that effect. She looked up in shock. Major, this is a gift of extraordinary strength. We can't simply snuff it out. Sadly, my lady, I'm not talking about snuffing it out. 
I'm talking about having no choice but to kill a boy who, by the looks of it, has already been through something terrible, all in the name of protecting other innocents. It's not my first choice, but it may be my only choice. Of course, I apologize, she replied with a bow of her head. Yes, the the gift is important, but so is the life of the boy. The major turned and stared out of the boy again as Rospin returned, a weathered old man in tow. The men are placing and lighting the torches, Major. Also, this gentleman says he recognizes the boy. The man nodded vigorously, wattles flapping beneath his chin. Yes, sir, I do, he wheezed. Osgun Trap, sir. I'm a cobbler and do some work here in the court. I recognize the boy from the performances yesterday. Performances? asked Kasejian. Raising a spotted, wrinkled hand, Trap pointed at the brightly painted Vardo directly behind the Major and Lady Malsara. Yes, sir. The boy is part of the family who performed during the Lady Protector's Jubilee. Came in that there Vardo over there. Did all sorts of jumps and flips and balancing. Could juggle like nobody's business. Him and his sister also had voices like angels. Do you remember the boy's name, Trap? Did they ever say it? Trap bobbed his head again. Oh, yes, sir. I never forget a name. I can remember the name of everyone who ever brung me their shoes. My mammy used to say, Trap. The major chided, please, just the boy's name. Oh, sorry. Yes, sir. Uh, they called him Amon. Thank you, Trap. You may go now. The old man bobbed his head and scuttled away. Excuse me, Major, came a call from nearby. Yes, Rospin. A few of the torches are starting to go out. They stood in silence as two or three torches, placed a bit closer than the others, guttered and died. Well, we're running out of time. Agreed, remarked the stanchion woman. I hate to say it, but I think the expansion might be accelerating. Do you think he's awake in there, sir? Asked Rospin. I'm sorry, what was that, Rospin? Do you think he's awake? He's just rocking back and forth, sir. I had a cousin who was touched in the head. All he did was rock back and forth sometimes and didn't know who or what was around him even if we talked to him. He'd only stop rocking when he fell asleep. Kasejian stared at the private, then at Lady Melsera, and then out of the boy. Rospin? Yes, sir. That's brilliant. He turned to Melsera. Milady, I think I have a solution to our problem, and it may solve this situation without forcing us to kill the child. I think I'm missing something, Major. What do you plan? He grinned. Rospin, can you read, write, and ride? Yes, sir. Good. I'm promoting you to corporal, and you'll now serve as my personal aide if I survive this. But first, he continued, interrupting the surprised outburst from now Corporal Rospin, I need you to go get me 200 feet of rope, heavy enough to pull a man across open ground, but not so heavy that you can't run with it. Go! Rospin froze for a second, then, with a grin and a salute, he dashed off. Major, what exactly are you going to do? Lady Melsera asked. Lady... Am I correct in assuming you can't use your gift if you're asleep? Of course, she replied. It requires conscious effort on my part. Uh, Some particularly powerful stanchion masters have been known to cause things to happen when they're asleep, but that is usually when they're fevered or older and their minds are slipping. She stopped suddenly, 
hand flying to her mouth. Major, Oscar, you can't possibly be thinking about going in there. He smiled tightly. Yes, my lady, I am. If the boy is creating this effect, but is unaware, perhaps because of shock, I might be able to rouse him and bring this to an end. A sudden outburst drew his attention. A knot of citizens had gathered, shouting and pushing at the men of the night guard assigned to hold them back. Kasegian turned and strode toward the disturbance. We're all going to die, screamed a woman. He'll kill us all, the whole city, shrieked another. Kill him, bellowed one man, a cry that was quickly taken up by the growing mob. Hands reached out, grasping at the night guard's weapons. A rock sailed over the crowd toward the boy and missed. It was followed by another that struck the boy in the shoulder, but there was no change in the boy or his slow, steady rocking. Silence! Kasegian bellowed in a battleground shout that would have made his old sergeant major proud. Silence! He shouted again as the angry crowd settled back slightly, cowed by the tall, rough-hewn soldier with the wicked scar and blood-spattered armor. I am Major Oscar Kasegian, commander of the Selmarin Watch. You are not in danger. This situation will be over in a matter of minutes. There will not be any need to kill anyone. If you are concerned, turn around and depart Mummer's Court now. The crowd subsided, though a few angry murmurs still rippled among the gathered people. Rossman appeared by his side, a thick coil of rope draped over his shoulder. Excellent, Rossman, come with me. Together, the two men walked back to the Vardo, where Lady Melsera waited. With Rossman's help, Kasegian stripped off his bloody cuirass, wincing as the roughly bandaged wound in his arm flared in pain. He ignored it and carefully removed his weapons and placed them atop his armor. Give me the rope and go get two more men, please, Rossman. Rossman handed his commander one end of the rope, which Kasegian wrapped about his waist and tied off as his orderly collected two other members of the night guard. Are you sure about this, Oscar? Lady Melsera asked, arms crossed and tucked beneath her cloak. Yes, I am, he replied without hesitation. Enough people have died this past night, and I'd prefer to avoid adding this boy to the butcher's bill. If I'm right, I'll be able to get to him and end this. She nodded as the three soldiers returned. Kasegian picked up the loose end of the rope and handed it to Rossman. All right, I intend to hold my breath and run out to the boy, rouse him from whatever state of shock he may be in, and stop him from using his gift. However, if I fall and I am unable to return, you are to haul me back out of there as fast as possible. Rossman stepped forward. Sir, let me go instead. Thank you, Rossman. I'm sorry, I don't even know your first name. Eveth, sir. Thank you, Eveth, but I won't ask any man to take this risk but me. He turned to the Stangen woman. Lady Melsera, if something does happen to me, please be sure to let Captain Waring and Lieutenant Trout know that I have promoted Corporal Rossman, and please inform my wife of what I tried to do. If I fail, I charge you with the responsibility of determining the best course of action to protect this city and its citizens from this boy. She nodded. Go with grace, Major. I'd prefer to go with a bit of extra speed, 
he replied wryly. All right, men, follow me. Together, the four men walked up to the nearest torch, which was just starting to flicker on one side. Hold just the end, and whatever you do, don't prevent me from moving forward. I don't want to be fighting the pull of the rope. Yes, sir, the three soldiers replied. He nodded to each of them and then turned to face the boy. Closing his eyes, he took several deep breaths, as if preparing for a deep dive into a cold mountain lake. He crouched, took one final breath, held it, and then sprinted toward the towering oak. His mouth flew open as the air was sucked from his lungs. He could feel a pain in his eyes as if they were being tugged from his head. He stumbled on the hilt of a cutlass but kept his balance, fingers brushing the dried grass as he recovered. Halfway there now, leaping over another body, feeling pain in his chest but hearing no sound, not of his feet on the ground, not of his arms moving through the air. There was the boy, still cradling the body, the corpse of a man lying nearby, hands clasped around his own throat as a cutlass shone in the moonlight. Kasegian slid to a halt by the boy, grabbed his shoulders and shook him. There was no response. The major shook him again, lungs now screaming for air, spots appearing in front of his eyes. Lifting the boy's head and staring into his open but blank eyes, Kasegian slapped him sharply. The boy blinked slowly but stared blankly at him. The roaring of blood in Kasegian's ears was deafening. The moisture in his mouth vanished, almost as if it were boiling off. The edges of his vision began to blur. He raised his hand, clenching it into a fist. Then, as his vision began to fade, Kasegian struck the boy across the jaw, sending both of them tumbling across the grass. He saw the boy topple, eyes snapping shut as he lost consciousness. Landing heavily, Kasegian gasped involuntarily. Air! Blessed air filling his chest! He saw a small ball of fire appear over him, and a voice, it had to be Lady Melceris, crying out in triumph. He heard the sound of footfalls draw closer, and then Rospin was by his side. Sir, Major, are you all right? Kasegian nodded slowly. The boy, he rasped. He's alive, Oscar, said Lady Melcera, only steps behind Rospin. Help me up, Rospin. Yes, sir. Together, the two men stood. Kasegian could feel life returning to his cold limbs, and he took another deep, shuddering breath. The boy lay on his side, unconscious. Kasegian knelt and lifted him into his arms. Rospin, please take the girl. He gestured with his head at the small, still body by the tree. The corporal picked her up. As her head fell back, revealing her delicate features, the three of them could see the terrible wound across her breast. No child could have survived that, Kasegian thought to himself. Together, they carried the children from that place, leaving the remaining bodies in the shadow of the ancient oak. Thanks for listening this week. I'd love to hear any feedback you might have about Circle's Call or anything else you've heard here on the Epic Pencil. Please reach out to me at chris at pretendingtowrite.com. And until we read again next week, please enjoy a great book or two, and remember to support your local independent booksellers. 
The content of the Epic Pencil and Circle's Call is copyright 2020 by Christopher Watson.